Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guy podcast live on all popular channels from Facebook to LinkedIn, YouTube, and even Twitter. Today, I'm joined by a phenomenal leader and CEO, Pat Petiti, who is the CEO at Catalant Technologies, co-CEO, actually, and we're going to actually dive deep on a little bit more about that. Pat is the co-founder and co-CEO of Catalant Technologies prior to founding Catalant. Pat was a consultant at negotiating com- at negotiation and conflict management consulting firm Vantage Partners, and before that at Booz Allen Hamilton. Pat actually received his BS from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and an MBA from the Harvard Business School. He's a Bostonian, born and raised. He's just an awesome guy. I've actually chatted with him before, and I'm really excited for us to dive deep a little bit on his background, how he built Catalan, and a little bit about his thoughts on the future of work. Pat, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, good to be here, man. I appreciate having me, dude. This will be fun. Oh, of course, man. Of course. How are you going and how are you feeling doing with everything going on in the world, man? It is crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, being locked at home is <laughs> is crazy. Um, I have two little kids. I got a three-year-old and a, and a one-year-old. Yeah. And uh, and my, my three-year-old is a complete madman. And the one-year-old's like had just started walking before all of this. So, <laughs> you know, that's got my hands full with that. I think uh, it's interesting running a company. Um through all of it because all of a sudden you can't like be there in person with people it's hard to know how mm. people are feeling um both both with the coronavirus and then all of the um the racial injustice issues that have at least become more prevalent in yeah. the past uh and were talked about in the past couple of couple of weeks um so it's uh it's a it's a funky time man it's a funky time but uh but there's a lot of you know um we have a good team of people who who make it easy to talk about it and who support each other, regardless of whether it's in person or through you know Zooms like this. Mm. Um, we just we make it work. Yeah, no, and I, what I love about what you said, man, it's hard as a people leader right now or any any CEO because you can't be there with your people, man. Uh, yeah. I want to I want to talk a little bit about you know within um Catalan's culture, how have you all been adapting to this current yeah. shift? For sure. So I mean, the amazing thing is we hired our head of people. I think like five or six weeks ahead of this all happening, ahead of when wow. we went remote. Um, so I'd say first and foremost, it's been the way that we've handled it is just we have like an amazing leadership team um, across the board. Our leadership team is, is really, really strong. And that's been incredibly important because no one person could could help handle this themselves with a, with a company with, you know, 200 plus people. Um, <laughs> what we've been what we've been really focused on is being extremely deliberate about um our communication Mm. so communicating as often as possible communicating through as many channels as possible helping people understand what all of this means for the company how we think about supporting people through everything going on in the world right now how we think about as a company our role in uh and helping you know make the changes that the world needs right now um being really transparent about what we're hearing from our customers from our board members i think like communicating We've had, to, we've had to step up our game on communication. And I think having our new head of people and our leadership team stepping up against that has been extremely important. And very timely for you to hire them right before all of this happened. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I, I feel bad. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing that's been amazing is we, we just got back results from our company engagement survey. I think I can, I think I can share them. Um, and <laughs> our engagement scores since we went remote have actually gone up markedly. Wow. And it's, and I think that just speaks to the fact that 
regardless of whether we're in person or we're talking to people through a computer, um, the, the emphasis on communication and, you know, the right level of transparency uh, and vulnerability, which I've seen our leadership team show a ton of, has been has had, has had a really serious impact. Yeah, yeah, no, that's powerful. I want you to talk a little bit about the journey in building Catalan. You know, I think it's very yeah. interesting your, your background because we've had a discussion before. And, yeah. and as an entrepreneur, you always face challenges. You know, what what inspired the you building the company, and how did sure. you overcome all of the challenges that, that came your way during the process, man? Oh man. Um, well, first we we had the idea. We were students at Harvard Business School. And we were in a first year class at HBS where they break everybody into teams of five or six. They give you 5,000 bucks and they tell you to start a company. And it is like, (laughs) and they don't expect any of these companies to go and persist beyond the class because it's not like the right context to start a company. Um, You know, it's like a VC's worst nightmare. You've got like five or six like MBA students, like who's going to actually do the work. Um, (laughs) But the, the, the thing that we kept coming back to was based on our experience, like I'd worked in consulting, one of my colleagues um, had worked at a private equity firm and he had engaged consulting and his father ran a small business in New York City, still runs a small business in New York City where he's always looking for mm-hmm. help. And, um, and across all of it, we just realized that we were sitting amongst a bunch of really smart people who had pretty good experience. Yeah. Um, consulting firms provide one type of solution for companies, but it's very hard for small businesses to access consulting firms. And oftentimes large companies don't need like the big purchase of a consulting engagement. They just need access to the right person or people who've done something before. Yeah. And so we started the business based on that. We built a marketplace. It was called Hourly Nerd. You can probably <laughs> guess why we eventually changed the name. Um, but we, we launched the marketplace and very quickly we had a lot of large enterprises showing up. We realized we had to build something that was less of like an open-ended marketplace and much more of like each company could have their own controlled and curated experience so that it was much more secure. They could see their colleagues, procurement could make sure that the processes they follow were all good. We could set up payment processes. We could you know, have custom SOWs, all that stuff. And the, and the more that we did that, the more we realized that we were building much more of a technology company. And the more that companies use that technology, the more they'd ask, hey, can we actually use this as a software product as well? And they wanted to use it as a software product to help them organize their work and not just to engage external talent, but actually to engage their employee base in a different way. Wow! And so today we have we have sort of two different business lines. One is um, is our external marketplace, which is ex- extremely important to our clients. It is you know about thirty percent of the Fortune one hundred, close to thirty percent of the Fortune one thousand use that. And then we have a software product that's about two years old, but is growing very quickly and is helping companies fundamentally execute their work in a better and faster way. Which both both are pretty relevant as a as workforces are distributed and people are like stuck at home. So business has actually been good for you <laughs> these past couple of months. Yeah, I mean, we, we faced what I think a lot of like enter- folks focused on the enterprise have faced, which is, which is like just getting people on the phone is tough. And now all of a sudden yeah. we're seeing interest come back very, very quickly. We had, the, the, one of the things we found really interesting was we had more marketing qualified leads in Q1 oh. than we had in all of 2019. And I wow. think that just speaks to like the, the, the pretty big interest that people have now that um, they're seeing that the world is a lot of the things that they always knew were going to happen in the world. And they thought, yeah, we'll eventually tackle that. They're like, ah, shoot, we got to tackle that now. Like we're, we're late. Um, yeah. So we see a lot of companies rushing to figure out, okay, how do we engage our workforce better? How do we have more visibility? Like how do we, shouldn't we be using digital technologies to help us think about how we get our work done? 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I think what I love about, you know, the, the way you all have been thinking about this is that this is your moment, right? As a company, right? To yeah, shine. Sure. And it's so fascinating, right? Because, you know, the I, I've been I've been advocating talking about the future work for years now, man. But to see how so many leaders and companies have just gravitated to the movement happening right now has been quite enjoyable to, to see. But also, you know, I think we're we're starting to realize that really the 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 world of work is about, you know, giving your people more agency, allowing them to engage, um, even at a distance, but also creating that culture and atmosphere and tools like Catalan solve that problem. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I agree, but I'm biased. But uh, (laughs) I think that's right. I think, um, you know, you face this and and it's an interesting time because I I was reflecting on this. A lot of um, a lot of people always said that the best companies come out of like recessions or downturns. Right. Mm -hmm. And you hear about all the companies that came out of like the dot com um, bubble. You hear about all the companies that came out in like 2001, 2008. And uh, and I never really appreciated why that was the case until I realized that like it actually makes you really challenge your business model. It makes you challenge how you think about delivering value to customers. And it's like a, it's a point in time that most companies don't get a chance to go through. And it's hard for a number of reasons. Like you're like, Hey, we got to get customers to call us back. Now that they're calling us back, we see the benefits of that. And we see that, you know, really focusing in and honing in on what you need to be great at is incredibly helpful. So, you know, we hope to be one of those companies and I think a lot of future aware companies will be. Yep. Agreed 100%, my brother. You know, so talk because you're the team is distributed, right? Pat, oh, yeah. you, have, you guys have people now, it is. now it is distributed. So, before were you all, were some people co located and you had offices, satellite offices elsewhere? Yeah, so before we had about um, probably about three quarters of our company in an office in Boston, um, down in the seaport. Um, and then the rest of our team was dis- distributed. We had a team in London. Uh, team in uh, Rochester, New York, um, and then people who were pretty pretty evenly distributed across other cities in the country. Um, a West Coast team, a Central team, uh, and then folks who who just kind of work from where they are. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I probably didn't appreciate how difficult it is to work um, with a group of people if if a lot of them are in the same place. But this has been good for us to kind of challenge. Like, hey, we probably should actually change the way that we think about working. I think mm-hmm. we brought a lot more structure to the way we have meetings. I think we've been a lot more focused in our conversations and in our, in our meetings. Now um, we have, we've put in place days where there are no meetings for certain groups at the company. Amen to that. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. I know. Like my, my, my Thursdays are like a hundred times better now. Um, <laughs> if you're tuning yeah. in by the way and watching Pat and I chat about the business as well as the new world of work, please show some love in the comments. And if you have any questions or any feedback for Pat or any questions about the business or how he manages being a leader and, and co-CEO, please add them in the comments and we'll definitely show you some love. But go ahead, Pat, as you were saying. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, so so our I think we've I think we've really gotten better as a company um, because we had to figure out how to get better. And I think that's what a lot of large, large organizations are feeling now, too, is you got to figure out how to do it. And so, like, it's easy to wait and to continue to do the easy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when the rubber meets the road and you have no choice, that's when you figure out how to be better, how to work better. Mm-hmm. Let me. So uh, Kingsley actually asked, you know, what was your motivation throughout kind of building the company, man? Because I'm yeah. sure you had some times where you're like super depressed. Like, you're like, <laughs> oh my God, the company's about to break. You know, like things are not working. But like, what kept you motivated, man? Because I've had those times often um, in building the business yeah. with Guide. And I think, you know, for me, it's always been just like, dude, like the mission is very, very clear. I'm passionate about the mission. And plus, we're passionate about the problem we're solving. So what was it for you, man? 
I mean, I think that's like a big part of it is at your core, if you understand, if you think you understand the problem really well, and you think that you and the people around you are really well positioned to help solve that problem, then like, of course, you're going to have bad days. And frankly, you're early on, you're going to have more bad days than you have good days. Um, But as long as you're seeing the progress towards being able to solve that real problem, and as long as you feel like in that progress, you're increasingly under understanding the problem more and more. I think you just get more and more hooked. I would say over time though, um, as the company's gotten bigger and our leadership team has expanded and the the quality of people at the company has just continued to improve. I think a big part of it too, is like seeing the progress that the people around you make. For for me, I honestly think that's like the most motivating thing is watching, you know, um, one of our sales reps just knock it out of the park on a call. And I'm like, man, I shouldn't even be here. Or, uh, <laughs> honestly, or like just seeing like the product features that like now we're now our team is pumping out at a pace yeah. where like, you know, I didn't even, I, the, the best, the best feeling is when you're like, man, the company is moving forward in a bunch of ways that I didn't even know about. That's like the best feeling. And so I think that's what gets me motivated. Like, of course you're going to have times where, you know, stuff goes wrong. Like that's, that's the case, but yeah. It's just like seeing progress towards solving the problem that you understand. And that, and now that like collectively we as a, a unit of 200 people understand. Yeah, man. That's spoken as a true people leader, man. I love that. So <laughs> shout out to my boy, Mr. Yoshida. In streamlining meetings and keeping them productive, are your folks using particular frameworks for the meeting mm-hmm. to get you to decisions quickly? It's a good question. No, we're, we're not. Um, I've, I've toyed around and we've toyed around in the past with whether, whether we should put more structure around that. But I think depending on the types of meetings that you're having, um, I think uh, it's a little bit difficult to apply one, one framework. But what, I, what I've seen happen and what I, where I think people are trying to push toward is one, like make sure meetings end on time and you've got a little bit of a buffer before your next meeting, which like when you're staring mm-hmm. at a computer on Zoom all day, you got to do. But the other thing is like, it's very clear at the beginning of every meeting, what is the objective of this meeting? What are we trying to get out of this? And before the meeting ends, did we accomplish that objective? Did we get that out of it? I mean, it's simple, but like at the end of the day, you have so many meetings, especially when you're in person. I think it happens more when you're in person. We just kind of like float away. And that's fine because you can like run and catch up and be like, hey, again, what did you say? But on Zoom, like I sh- you shut the computer and you're like <laughs> onto the next one. So I think people have just been a lot more clear about why yeah. they're meeting, what they're trying to get out of it and whether they did. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with you 100%. It's hard to really have like a one size fits all framework for meeting, especially in a remote context, too. I mean, I found that doing creative brainstorming meetings, like creative critiques, looking at designs, it's so hard because it's you don't get a sense of presence and kind of like shared empathy and like contextual awareness of like, okay, we're all paying attention to the same thing. And totally you're nice. always having to like talk over people in Zoom videos. I'm like, this is like the most frustrating thing yeah. ever. That's the other thing is we've seen a lot. Of, uh, uh, I think what works best in these Zoom meetings, I mean, this is super tactical, but I think what works best in these Zoom meetings is like you call on people. You're like, you're next, you're next, you're next. Like you got to just yeah. like control the meetings better um, because yeah. it's it's super hard otherwise. Yeah, agree. So shout out to Mr. Yoshida who's saying, good point. You are correct about the specific <laughs> meetings context. So he loves that, man. So, you know, Pat, because I, I think this is really important. I want to talk, I want you to talk a little bit about transparency and vulnerability when it comes to leadership. And, you know, I think you guys have a really great culture uh, at Catalan. In fact, it's allowed you all to adapt and you all have a new chief people uh, HR lead, um, like you mentioned. You know, well, how important has it been for you in creating a culture 
that is transparent and people feel as if they can bring their authentic self to work remotely even <laughs> even remotely and you got to be even I, remotely. I, I, actually, <laughs> I actually think I, I actually think it's um I think doing it remotely is uh, is even is has been more impactful because I think you have a lot of empathy when you can see like people's kids running around behind them or like they're in their house just trying to make it work or and you need to be more empathetic right now because this context is just you know particularly difficult for people. Um, I would say um, so. I would say I think transparency is really important and I think sometimes people get confused about the meaning of the word transparency. I think they they think that means like you tell everybody everything yeah. and that's not the case. I think mm -hmm. it's the case though, that you're clear with people about what you're gonna tell them. And if there's something that you can't share, you, t you tell them that and you tell them why. Yeah. But I think it's about being like honest. I think it's about being you know, honest and consistent. Mm -hmm. I'd, say, I'd say it's um, transparency is, is useless if you aren't consistent with what you are and aren't transparent about and you, and you aren't consistent with the way that you communicate it. And I think authenticity is, is the same thing. Um, mm -hmm it isn't authentic if you can't be consistent. And that's why I think authenticity is actually so important in a leader because what people, what I think companies really need is leadership mm. where people are consistent and it's predictable. And mm. if you're not authentic and you're trying to be a certain version of yourself or you're trying to be a person that you think people wanna see, it's impossible to consistently be that person and it's impossible mm. to be the best version of that person. So I, for, for me, that's why authenticity is so important. Um, and I think vulnerability kind of goes hand in hand. It's, you have to be confident enough in your authentic self that you can be vulnerable. You can just be mm. you. And I've seen, um, I've definitely seen a couple of our leaders like step up in super powerful ways that have inspired me to be to be more vulnerable. Um, like the leader of our, of our sales organization has just like opened up his own like personal self a lot more in ways that you know probably didn't feel as natural before before all mm. this happened. Um, I've seen it across our leadership team. And I think we're, we're trying to do that as well, particularly when things come up um, that we need to talk about as a company that are personal. So mm -hmm. you, you think about like all of the things going on with race in America today, you know, uh, you can only talk about those in a personal way. Like I can't tell people how to feel and I can't yeah. tell, and I don't believe our company should tell anybody how to feel about it, but I can say like, Hey, here's, here's like, how I personally feel. And like, yeah. that's the best thing that I, that's the best I can do. Anything else would be inauthentic and or unfair. Um, so I think it's been with everything going on in the world, all the craziness and who knows what the hell else is, is going to happen. in 2020. <laughs> um, but I can certainly see more stuff in November. Um, with all of that, like, I think you really have to be, to be, to be a leader right now. I think it would be tough if you couldn't be authentic and, and pretty vulnerable. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Who have been some of the leaders in your life that, you know, they've either influenced how you approach leading and also maybe, you know, I wrote a book on it that, that really that's really inspired your leadership approach, man. Totally. Um so honestly the the, the number one person is my former um, a couple of my former managers from from the one of the consulting firms that was at Vantage Partners. And that that firm was interesting. Um that firm was interesting because they wrote the book on conflict management and negotiation, right? Like wow. literally they wrote like the book, it's called Getting the Yes. It's, uh, it's one of the best-selling books, um, uh, business books of all time. And what they would do is they would work with companies to help them, companies that had a particular context where they needed help um, making sure that there wasn't gonna be conflict, but context where like conflict was almost inevitable. Mm -hmm. And they had a bunch of frameworks and processes and approaches to, um, to helping companies become better at conflict management and negotiation. 
and I, I I just learned like a tremendous amount there from them. I learned a lot about like being like your, your true self. I also learned a lot about, um, about having empathy for why people end up in conflict and say and do things that you might think are crazy, but they certainly think are reasonable and rational. Um, and I think I learned, I just learned a tremendous amount in that process about like how to approach conflict and challenging situations and, uh, and, and context that's like ripe for conflict, uh, which mm-hmm. like a startup certainly is. Yeah. <laughs> Very often, right? There's a lot of, you know, compromise that you have to make and it's easy to be, uh, uh, you know, it's, a, it's easy to get into arguments, but when you have objective kind of metrics or objective goals and shared goals, things are much more easier. You know, it, oh, yeah. it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, there's this really powerful book on conflict management. Um, I forget the name of it, but you know, it's nonviolent communication. I believe you're probably familiar okay. with it. I'll check it out. Yeah. 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 And, you know, CEOs yeah, yeah. and leaders such as Satya Nadella have shared it. And, and they say it's it's essentially, and it's also Martin Luther King um, was someone that, that really proposed it and encouraged leaders to really think about how do you approach nonviolent communication? So often communicating from a place of empathy. And I think what's often missing is active listening, um, especially in conversations. So being able to summarize or rephrase or contextualize what what do you feel how do you feel and you know i've often found that the best managers do that really really well it's like they're always present and they relay back okay so this is what you said hmm right like and it's like a it's a, it's, a, it's a really very small and simple tactic but it's so surprising how many managers and leaders fail to do it yeah. big time we we do this thing at our company um, that we started a, a couple of months ago um, it's a it's a tool called the leadership circle and we have a head of L&D who is like phenomenal. He's, he's the, the best in the game. And, um, and so he is, he's used the leadership circle at a bunch of different places and he knows how to, he knows how to apply it well. And, um, and one of the things I'm, I'm working on now, which came out in the leadership circle is, is exactly what you just said. It's like being able to be effective at um, proactively restating the opinions of mm-hmm. other people around you just to make sure that you do truly understand their perspective. And it's also something that when I, when I was at that consulting firm, um, came up a lot. They had a framework called the li- the ladder of inference, which is really all about like people argue at the top of their their ladder at the, at the conclusion level, but the way that you come to a conclusion is you look at evidence, you interpret it, and then you have a, you come to a conclusion. And your brain does that in like a second. Seconds, um, yeah. And so the key is like understanding like how do people get up their ladder and making sure they can come down yours. And I, I mean, I, it's I think about that all the time. I talk to people at Catalan about that all the time, um, and it's something that like. You might, I, I, I trained people on it. I worked with like the best people in the world at applying mm-hmm. it, but it's, but it's, you're fighting against like human behavior and you're fighting against like what your brain naturally does. And so you just got to stay on top of it and constantly be trying to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Powerful, powerful, man. So talk to me a little bit about, okay, what are the, the three skills that you can summarize are critical to leading a distributed organization, man? Whew. Um, and really quickly before you yeah. dive deep on that, I want to show love yeah. to the, the people who have been commenting and tuning in. So shout out to Neha, who's saying being vulnerable in leadership is to share weaknesses and ask for help. And it shows it's okay to ask for help. How are you feeling about that, Pat? I think, yeah, I think that, I think that's a component of it for sure. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I always, the way I always think about it is like, why do you hire all these people? Like you hire <laughs> people who are like way better than you. I should be, yeah. I should not be better than anybody at what they're doing, honestly. <laughs> and so like, if I don't need their help, then like either I hired the wrong people or like I am like doing something totally wrong. 
I love it. I love it. Shout out to Mrs. Hart, Betty, who's saying vulnerability in a leader means you can step down or step aside and allow growth within your team, department, organization. Preach to that. And also, I think it's vulnerability and also just being open to like growth. I think, you know, when you're building a company, you're building anything and you're, you're, you're leading. It's like you want to see you want to be able to facilitate the work and make sure that people are clear on, okay, this is what we want to achieve. Let's do it together. And I think a big part of having a we mindset too, Betty, is having, is, is it includes vulnerability. Like I trust that you all can do a great job because we're better together. It's, 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 inter- it's interesting. Cause I think it's, it's hard when you're a first time manager, cause you want it, you're so tied to the work. Um, and I would love to get your thoughts on this as well, Pat. Totally. I mean, I, uh, I think that's exactly, it kind of goes hand in hand with what I was saying before, which is like, um, you, I, I think being vulnerable is like not expecting that you have to be a part of the successes that the company has, right? Like it's, um, it's knowing that like in the ideal world, great things happen and you found out about them after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. And, the, and if you want to run a company, like, you know, obviously my aspiration is that Catalan becomes a heck of a lot bigger. And if, yeah. and I know that if I want to be able to run a company where Catalan continues to grow, like I can't be involved in everything. I can't like, God, it would be a real problem if I was, you know, involved in every successful thing that happened. And in fact, like I should be involved in very few. Um, at the end of the day, it's like my job to, I view, I view my job at the company as just like clear the woods for everybody else, like make it easy for everybody else to like drive down their path and do the things that they're great at. Um, and I'm just, I'm just like trying to get shit out of the way. <laughs> love it, man. Love it. Man. So talk to us about those three skills, man, that you would say are crucial to leading a distributed organization. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm going to, we're, we're, we're hitting on a lot of the same themes here, but so, so I apologize if it feels like I'm, I'm repeating a lot of stuff, but like one, one big one I think is really um, having enough uh, confidence in yourself to like know when you can trust all the people around you. Like, I think that's really, really important. I don't believe that you can lead a distributed workforce or a workforce at all for that matter if you don't truly trust the people that are around you. And so like that means that if you don't, you have to be able to like address that immediately. But it also means that you need to be like comfortable and and confident enough in yourself to like let them go and do their thing and come back and be able to talk to you about the results or whether they were were able to accomplish it. I think part of that is also making them comfortable coming to you. So I think another key skill is... Um, being, and I don't, I, I don't know the exact word for this, but I know that as a leader, something that's very important is making the people who you work with, um, comfortable coming to you with problems, mm. right? Like they have to be willing to come to you with problems and not be afraid that you're going to say, well, how could you have gotten that wrong? Or how did you do that? Right. Um, and I, that, that's so important because you, I, I view myself again, like I don't have the answers to, I shouldn't have the answers to most of this stuff. Like they have the answers. But I do want to be a person who they trust to come to as a sounding board or to work through things or to, to think through hard problems together. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you really have to cultivate that that trust from them to you where they feel like, you know, they can come to you, tell you something that they totally screwed up. And that's OK. Like we're all going to we're all going to screw something up. And then I think the last one is is growth mindset. And I think I think having a growth mindset is extremely important. It's, it's very core to one of our three cultural values. Mm-hmm. Um, our cultural values are be excellent, be a force multiplier and be audacious and being, and I think it's like being excellent. Like how can you be excellent if you don't have a growth mindset? You have to believe that you can always be better. And, uh, and gosh, like I, I certainly believe that. And I've seen that like just in, I think back to some of the, some of the stuff I used to do 
as a leader of the company and and I shake my head and I'm and hopefully <laughs> like in two years I'll think back to times like today and be like man those were the you know like because you got to constantly be trying to get better and trying to grow and I think mm. it's also that's also important though because of course you want a company where people are doing that where people realize they can get better and it's okay to give feedback and they want to receive feedback and our our head of L and D always says uh, feedback is a breakfast of champions um, yeah. and I, and I think it's true like. Um, but there, but if you don't have a growth mindset as a leader, then like I can promise you, the people around you won't either. Mm, mm, powerful, man. Powerful, powerful. You know, shout out to Mr. Yoshida who's saying, "Sadly, I need to jump into a meeting." But thank you so much, Pat, for all you have shared with us. Amalo, Nui, Lo. I don't know how to speak Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's tough for me. You got to teach me, man. Tim, for all that you are doing to share all these right. amazing resources with us. Of course, man. Of course, man. You know what, Pat? Thank you so much for coming on to today's show, man. Pat, if there's a powerful takeaway you can leave our guy community, what would it be, man? Oh man, I think it's it's hard. Like I uh I think invite advice is so contextual and I think it really comes down mm-hmm. to it comes down to who you are and what you're doing, what you're trying to do. But at the end of the day, I I do believe that it is incredibly important to be to be able to be authentic. And that doesn't mean like always say the thing that's on your mind. And that doesn't mean like be the same way with your work colleagues as you are um as you are with like your friends or your family but it just means like have a have a work version of you that is who you are it's a it's a reflection of who you truly are because it's so difficult and it's a waste of energy and it's it's and it's frankly it like will hurt trust and it's it's always apparent if you aren't authentic if you're trying to be somebody who you're not so that's always i think the most important thing there there's a million types of uh of ways that leadership can work but I would argue like the one consistency across all of them is that it's an authentic reflection of who you are as a leader. Mm, powerful, man. When's that book coming out, man? You need to write a book, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I, don't, I can barely write. I can barely write. Uh, nah. Dude, you have to write a book, man. Pat, thank you so much. Po- Podcasts are all the thing these days. You don't need to read. And in five years, books won't be a thing. I actually do believe in that. Like a hundred percent. You actually have a point there. Man, with that said, Pat, thank you so much for being on the show today. Can the people connect with you on LinkedIn or Twitter? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Hit me up whenever. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Hit me up. Happy to happy to chat. I'm not a big Twitter guy, um, or like social (laughs) media guy, but I'm on LinkedIn. Shout out to Pat. He's on LinkedIn. So definitely make sure that you connect with them. With that said, Pat, we need to have you on a future episode, man. Oh, anytime, man. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome talking to you. Yeah. I want to hear more about your business too. We'll We'll catch up after. Oh, we'll catch up. We'll catch up, man. Appreciate you, brother. Talk to you soon, man. All right. Take it easy, man. Peace. (laughs) With that said, thank you so much for tuning into the first part of today's awesome episode with Pat Petiti. Make sure you go check out Catalan. They're really doing amazing work in terms of the future of distributed teams as well as the future of work. So I'm really excited to have had Pat on the show, share a little bit more about his thoughts on leadership and distributed teams. Now, in a few minutes, or let's say about 11, you all take a break. I actually have a really awesome guy on the show who is the founder and CEO of Product School. You've probably seen this guy around because he's everywhere. Carlos Gonzalez de, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name because it's so amazing and so contextual. Um, Carlos is actually the founder and CEO of Product School, uh, and he's actually been building Product School for about five years now. So if any of you are interested in being a product manager or you're passionate about product management, what it's like to lead a product team, this guy has the answers, but he also has the answers on what the future of lifelong learning looks like. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. 
at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So feel free to take a break and then we'll be right back. Uh, with that said, make sure you have your hand, handy notebook with you or whatever, or if you want to share this on your LinkedIn network because you know someone needs this information in a few minutes, make sure to share it with your LinkedIn network and definitely tag me on what you just learned from Pat, right? Because Pat actually had a lot of wisdom to share that I think is super important in today's day and age. So definitely mention us, mention Pat if you learned something, connect with him. He's super open, he's super accessible, and he's super awesome. With that said, I'm going to take a few minutes break, and I'm going to come right back, and we're going to have another conversation, y'all. All right, y'all. Talk soon.
And we are back. And before I bring Carlos on, I'm excited because this guy is amazing. And I hope you all during the break got some water because I drank some water or got some tea. Here's my little teacup. I love my little teacup. Or maybe you even read a quick book. Milk and Honey by Rupi Kaur is one of actually my favorite poetry books. So check it out if you're super interested in it. But I'm actually about to bring on a fantastic entrepreneur and an awesome leader as well. Carlos is an entrepreneur with over 10 years, serial entrepreneur with over 10 years of experience building global scalable companies and digital products. And he founded Product School in 2014, which is the global leader in product management training with a community of over 1 million product professionals. All the instructors on Product Soul are real world product leaders who work at top Silicon Valley companies, such as you probably hear a little bit about them, Google, Facebook, Netflix, Airbnb, PayPal, Uber, and a little company called Amazon. Throughout his career, he's participated as a speaker in more than a thousand conferences and events and classes around the world. He is like a natural born educator, man. And outside of work, he loves soccer and skiing. He's a phenomenal guy. And I'm really excited to have him on the show because we're going to talk a little bit about product, lifelong learning, and really his journey in building product school. So let's go ahead and bring him on the show. Carlos, what's up, buddy? What's up? Thanks for having me, Tim. Of course, man. Thank you for finding time and, and coming on the show, man. How's everything going on in your world, man? I can't complain. Uh, we're here, sheltering in place, but uh, happy and healthy. Dude, so happy to hear that, man, because you're tuning in from San Francisco. Well, the Bay Area, I'm sorry, right? Yeah, correct. I'm originally from Spain. I moved to the Bay Area 10 years ago. Wow, 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 man. So what actually motivated the move to the Bay, man? Tell us a little bit more about that. I love tech, and uh, yeah. I just wanted to be part of this Silicon Valley movement. And yeah. I had to figure out what is the easiest or best way to get here. And in my case, I, it was as a student. So I saved all my money that I made in the past. As yeah. an entrepreneur, actually, I never bought a house, never bought a car. I just wanted to come to Silicon Valley. And I found a program at UC Berkeley that uh, was able to afford and and here i am 10 years after dude it's so amazing right because the the hustle and bustle of silicon valley is it's always a draw to people who want to come out here and build something amazing and a lot of people don't know prior to product school you are already an entrepreneur you built your first company i would love for you to share a little bit about what was it like building your first company what were some of the hurdles that you went through man i think i was so naive yeah. that i was just building it and having fun with it without really worrying about a lot of the hurdles so my first I would say non-official company was uh, when I was still in school uh, selling wristbands online. That's when I discovered the internet. I was like, oh yeah. my God, I can buy something somewhere and then I can sell it in another place and I don't need inventory. And now that obviously sounds very obvious with eBay, Amazon and all these online stores, but it was really a breakthrough moment for me. And I made quite a bit of money just selling and trading stuff online. Yeah. And, you know, just kept saving money, money, money. And uh, at the same time, I was having this situation where, like, I'm learning so much by just building things on the side. I wouldn't even call it product management. It was just curiosity of yeah. using the internet. And at the same time, I'm obligated to go to school first, then college, where, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm getting my degrees. My parents are happy. But 
I'm, I'm, I'm living in a parallel world here <laughs> where mm. I'm doing what I want. I'm learning what I need. And uh, at some point, I merged those two worlds and decided, why don't I start a company where mm. I can create a platform, basically, where anyone can teach. I was, uh, this is way before product school. It was um, similar to what today is Udemy or Udacity. I like, mm. uh, at that time, the bootcamp, not bootcamp, wasn't that, uh, MOOCs, uh, massive online courses were very popular. So we created a platform for anyone who wanted to teach anything so you didn't need to be an instructor you could be good at baking cakes or designing websites or whatever it was think of it as a youtube but just focused on education and uh we we did it we raised a bunch of money in um in multiple continents so we were we started in spain but then we also opened a, a company and space in, in chile in latin america i was part of an accelerator program wow. called startup chile then i raised more money from an accelerator program here in the bay area called 500 startups so that was kind of my way to come back uh, after being a student. And it was an incredible journey. We had to learn everything from building a product to getting customers to raising money. And uh, I think that was also one of my inspirations to then start product school because, again, I was feeling mm. this this itch of like, okay, none of the stuff that I learned in an engineering school, I started computer science in Spain, and then all the business programs that I took in Berkeley, that's, that's nice for my mm. resume. And, and obviously I met incredible people, but at the same time, I didn't really learn what I needed in order to build something online. So after doing mm. digital products, basically for almost 10 years, I decided to create a school, which is a hybrid in between an engineering school and a business school called Product School to hopefully accelerate career growth for people who are kind of in this situation. Yeah. You know, let me ask you, because, you know, a lot of people don't, I think no one asks to be an entrepreneur. You just find the conviction when, you, when you're passionate about a problem that you want to solve. You know, at what moment were you just convicted that you had to build product school after building a prior venture and, and you know, going through the hurdles and the challenges of that? So for me, it was so a solution to my own problem. And I think mm. that's something that it's hard to fake because it was so core to my bones, to my values, that the fact that I had to struggle so much to, first of all, come to a different country, then to start a company, then to get the education and the mentors to really be set up for success, that, you know, just connecting the dots, looking backwards, I was like, oh my God, I spent so much time and I think I know a thing of two and I can accelerate this learning process for many other people. That was obviously the, the first idea. Now it's not about me anymore. We have an entire network of product leaders who work at incredible companies, like as you mentioned, you know, like Google, Facebook, and so on. That Salesforce is the about. best. <laughs> and they know much more than me about product. And I think that's great that, to get to a point where you can build something that is bigger than yourself. Yeah, no. It's so powerful too, because you know, you're really actually also creating pathways for many people who don't know how to get into product management. You know, is there one story that really touched your heart about someone that took a, a class in product school and really kind of came out, evolved and accomplished and fulfilled? So when I started, I was personally teaching the classes. So I wow. knew every single student by their name. And I took it so personal. I really wanted to make this happen. So I would go my way to help with interviews, introductions, and uh, mm. salary negotiations in some cases. And phew, there's so many incredible stories uh, behind the scenes. But like, 
And one of the things that make me very proud is that this is not just for mm -hmm. like amazing software engineers or MBA graduates from top schools. We can help many other professionals who might not have had the opportunity to access mm -hmm. other you know, jobs or universities and we're democratizing access to product management training. So from mm -hmm. real estate brokers to attorneys to people who actually didn't go to college, Basically, it's not about what you did in the past. It's what you are really willing to do from now on. Mm. And, it's, 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 and I think it's it's kind of breaking this vows that people are not their circumstance. Like if you don't know about product management, you can get in. And more importantly, you guys offer so much content too on the Product School website, free content, books, resources. I want you to share a little bit about all of the amazing content that you all have on Product School around getting into product management and you know and how you came about really building that that library because you know for me i've actually even read some of the the books and it's so interesting how resources like that even outside of the the, the product school and the, the service can be life-changing yeah i'm i'm a big believer in lifelong learning what can i yeah. say i, I yeah. don't understand why some people stop learning in their mid-20s and then suddenly it's like okay and now you have to work for the rest of your life well <laughs> what if you can do both and yeah. uh, you can learn on demand whatever you need whenever you need it and you're probably in a position once once you are the one who chooses what you want to learn you're probably going to care much more and you're going to get much more value like yeah. I, you know when i was in school yeah i could take classes on marketing but i didn't have anything to market yeah. <laughs> now like oh my god how do i figure out uh, seo or paid acquisition or whatever it is so going back to product management there was a, a lot of information online, but it wasn't really curated. So it's really hard to know what's, what's good. And um, I wanted to create a community way bigger than our courses. Yes, we offer certifications mm -hmm. and, and that's our business model. That's how we are able to sustain the community and reinvest in growth. But the real concept of Product School is a community. It's really mm -hmm. giving access to anyone who wants to learn about product management. And uh, if you are not ready, to take a certification or you can't afford it, you can still get value. So we put together a thousand, around a thousand events per year. They're all free. We also mm. do conf six conferences per year. We publish books. We have online communities, discussion forums where people can connect with mentors and ask questions. And I love it. I think mm. that concept of giving as much as you can is something yeah. that will eventually pay off, but you have to give without expecting anything in return. Man, it's such a powerful philosophy. And I think for us, even at Guy, you know, one of our, our core virtues as a company is that be of service, right? And, you know, it's literally and really be of service to creators because we believe creators, people who have the talent within the organization are truly powerful. But it's also kind of not feeling as if you have to like being like being it's similar to kind of Amazon's customer obsessed is, is how we kind of position it when we, when we created it. But to your point, it's being of service without expecting anything in return. And I love how you've like driven that mindset within product school. In addition to that, product school is actually distributed as well, right? You all are not all in the same location. Can you share a little bit more about what it's like leading a distributed team? Yeah, well, so what it used to be uh, our competitive advantage, I think now it's been <laughs> A commodity, right? Like there's no other option. But uh, yes, we started this company as a remote team from, from the get-go. So we have people in Europe, people in the US, people in South America, people in Southeast Asia. And um, so now when all of this happened, 
of course it's it's unfortunate but like from a business standpoint it didn't really change the way we collaborate with each other yeah um and i obviously think that if we are offering online education and online resources it's important to drink our own champagne (laughs) (laughs) it's true it's true so uh, so how many so uh what's the product management to uh, how many product managers are in product school? Because being a, a product, a, a company that has that helps product managers, do you all have a lot of product managers, or is that like everyone's responsibility within product school? I'm interested so, to know. So it's funny. Like one of the key decisions that I made at the very beginning was: best instructors are not teachers. Best instructors mm-hmm. are practitioners, especially in the topic that we are covering. It's so, it's changing so fast that it's important for you to not get rusty. So yeah. we intentionally didn't want to just hire full-time teachers. All the instructors who teach at Broad School keep their full-time jobs at you know Google, Facebook, Amazon, and so on. And I think that's very powerful for, for both the students, but also the instructors to give them the opportunity to give back to the community without having to quit their amazing jobs. Yeah, 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 yeah. And being able to do it part-time and being associated with an amazing school that allows them to build their networks, build their community, and also share their knowledge. You know, for for you early on, you know, was there a product manager, a you know, a potential uh, company that you were like, wow, like, you know, because I think I've, I've I've read stories that some companies actually use product school to train their junior product managers. Is what I've I've actually read that. And I think that's so amazing. So for you, when you were kind of like doing customer development early on and building the company. Were you just kind of surprised about how many companies were like, oh, wow, we need this as well. Not only do we want our people teaching at product school, but we actually want it within our organizations. You know what's very interesting? When you spend uh, some time in Silicon Valley, yeah. you start getting kind of group thinking and expecting yeah. that the rest of the world operates like Silicon Valley. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think it's very important to step back for a second and recognize yeah. how, how grateful we are to have access to incredible mentors, to incredible companies, and yeah. you know, the, the future of work in many ways is already happening in uh, in a lot of the companies in Silicon Valley. So we, I, I've been lucky enough to have access to a lot of that, and I wanted to take some of that magic and give it to people who are not in, uh, in Silicon Valley, or even if they are, they are not working at cutting-edge companies who are really yeah. shaping the future of product management. So... I have a lot of admiration for companies such as Google, mm. Uber, LinkedIn. I think they have top-notch product organizations. And yeah. they've been doing it for a very long time. Thing is, product management became cool suddenly. So yeah. it's very good to have the opportunity now to take some of those good practices and show them to other organizations that want to be more agile. And that yeah. is uh, fascinating because you'll be surprised. This is not just for all the small startups who are trying to build their first product. This also applies to large Fortune 500 companies who are going through huge digital transformation efforts. Yeah. And they're still trying to figure out a lot of things that might seem obvious to us just because of the position or the, the, the time we spend you know, working in tech in Silicon Valley. Yeah. I want to ask you, Carlos, you know, because things have changed, right, for most businesses now in a sense where everything was remote, right? So product management remote is remote, HR is remote, marketing is remote. You know, what do you think the future of product management looks like in a remote context? I think the future is also remote. And there may be some 
hybrid options depending on the circumstances. But I, if anything, I want to believe that what happened was an opportunity for us to accelerate a lot of the decisions that organizations would have made uh, in the future. And because there's no plan B, we have to figure it out. So mm. I feel very comfortable in a remote environment. We've done a lot of um, online training for large organizations online. And you know, some of them would also be like, hey, we haven't done this before. But now everyone is coming to terms with the fact that if we assume that this is the new normal, let's look at the opportunities. Maybe we can identify talent that is not in our neighborhood. Maybe we can access to training or mentors who are not in our neighborhood. And obviously technology is pushing in that direction to enable us to do things like what we are doing right now. Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true, it's true. And you know, even for us within Guy, you know, we are a distributed team. And I think, you know, to your point, we're gonna see more hybrid models where you're gonna have some co-located co-located product teams and you may have engineering continue to be remote because especially if you're an engineer, you do not have to be on site at all because traditionally engineers do everything either through GitHub or, <laughs> or through a repository and, you know, and a SaaS-based solution. And I think we're, we're definitely seeing, and when my, my co-founder, he talks about this often, is the future of distributed engineering where, and then I think the future of distributed product management as well also applies where product engineer, product managers and engineers are all either co-locate or distribute, maybe in the same time zone or even in like international time zone, but you just as a product leader, if you're building a product division, you have to be selective and making sure that people are still aligned and they're still within like, you know, that same uh, time zone so they can move faster and, you know, keep up to each other and still be able to build camaraderie. But I, I love that you said hybrid solutions because I think that, you know, we often talk too much about, oh, let's go fully remote or let's bring everyone on site when there's like this really healthy in-between that a lot of companies miss out on. Absolutely. And I also think about the, the next generation of professionals who are joining the workforce today. Yeah. They, or the even new generation of companies. They may not be thinking about investing in an office are their number one thing. Yeah. So that's also pushing everyone to start thinking about being more global. One of the things that personally helped us was to embrace the situation instead of thinking, mm okay, when all of this passes, then we are going to be fine. Like, okay, this is what it is, and we don't know for how long this is going to last. So let's try to make the best out of it, and let's not look back. Let's see, you know, what we can go from here. Mm, mm, mm. Powerful, man, powerful. So let me ask you, man, because uh, I think this is really going to be an important question. Uh, for you, what is the biggest thing that you think organizations can do today to prepare for the future of work? The future of work, it's a powerful word. It's also almost overused in many ways. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it really depends on the, on the context. But I think we shouldn't stop. I think that what just happened is something that, you know, had to happen for some reason. And we can't just put our life, our organizations on hold saying, okay, well, I'm going to resist. And then when all of this goes back to normal, then I will invest in this tool or I will invest in learning or I'll do this and that. I do it now because the future is today. And I think that even talking about the future too much or talking about digital transformation too much makes people, gives people the excuse to not do right now. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all about what are you molding? What is the future that you're building, right? I love that, man. I absolutely love that. I think often people think that when you think of the future of work, oh, it's something that's like in a far distance. We're actually creating it right now with so much of the things going on. Um, so shout out to Saad, who's saying, my boy Saad. Saad is an amazing guy. He's also a product manager as well, uh, Carlos. Carlos, great to hear your insights. Love the last live stream production and looking forward to many more. Oh, thanks so much, Saad. Thank Carlos you. Carlos is pretty awesome. Make sure you call it, connect with Carlos on LinkedIn. Now, this is someone whose name who I cannot pronounce. I agree. The best teachers are those who actively practice in their field. So she was he or she was feeling you on that point. You know, Saad, if anyone's interested in being a part of product school or part of your community, how can they learn more and join? So the easiest way is to go to our website, productschool.com and join for free and get access to all the resources uh, right away. And uh, one of the things that uh, you mentioned at our conference, uh, it's it's important to re to repeat it because when we started the conferences, we they were all in person. And uh, we had five, San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles, Seattle, and London. And of course, it's amazing to get together to, with incredible people for a day. But then we added this conference number six called online. And we were almost ashamed of saying, well, are people going to think that the online conference is not as good as the in-person yeah. conference? And we had to come up with a, a different brand almost. Uh, and then this year we're like, no, ProductCon online is as powerful, is if not more, than any other conference. So let's, first of all, put it at the same level. And then let's also open it up. We did this experiment mm -hmm. in April. It was the first online conference and we offered it for free to the entire community. We got over 100,000 viewers. And you wow. know what? It makes me feel good. And yes, I was afraid of the quality of the production because some people are streaming from their home. So what? Like, we all understand we are here for the quality of the content and inspiration. We're not here just to check out what you have on your, <laughs> on your wall. And it worked out. So we're doing it again, actually, on July 9th. That's huge, man. That's huge. I'm excited. I should definitely be a part of it. <laughs> I would love to be a part of it, man, because I know you guys put a lot of work intentionality into making sure you all have the best content for product managers. So we're looking forward to it. Carlos, man, it was a pleasure having you on the live episode today, man. What is your big takeaway for our guy community, man? I think what we mentioned about trying to give away as much as possible without expecting in return. But just keep in mind that giving away is not just giving away whatever. You have to put a lot of effort into building like high quality resources that people like. This is not about getting just out there with followers and whatever. No, it's about really helping people. And if you are helping one, think about how you can help 10 and then 100 and then a million. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. And how you can scale things out. Carlos, thank you so much, man. Where can our, our guy community follow you, man? All right. Well, um, look forward to continue the conversation with any of you uh, through Guide and obviously through Product School as well. Thank you for having me. Of course, Carlos, man. Talk to you soon, man. We should have you on a future episode, by the way, brother. Always. Always, man. Thanks, man. Talk soon. With that said, that is today's episode of Unleashing the Future of Work live, a guide podcast. If you're interested in being a part of our early beta for Guy, check out guideapp.co. We're actually going to be launching next week and opening up the platform to a select list of amazing creators. And we're incredibly excited about that. It's going to be a really silent and gradual launch, but we're incredibly excited because it's been a year's 
worth of work to get to this point. So please definitely check us out at guideapp.co if you want to be a part of our early beta. And once again, if you want to be on our live podcast, check out utfow.com. Literally, we always love people who are interested in being a guest or a sponsor. So definitely let us know, and I will definitely make sure that we have you on a future episode. With that said, y'all, thank you all so much for your attention and energy today. If you have any questions for me or you have ideas for a future episode, please reach out, and I would super appreciate having a conversation with you. With that said, y'all, peace, love, and as always, abundance. Talk soon.